confession time. It's confession time. Welcome back to the XX Mormon podcast. We are back today. I am conducting the meeting. I'm Elder Jackson. Of course, on the stand with us, as always, and presiding, we have Bishop Jensen and we have Counselor Davis, soon to be probably disfellowshipped because, as we learned last week, he ain't been paying his tithing. Uh, and and he's going through a faith crisis, just in case anybody in the ward didn't know already. I thought I'd announce that over the pulpit. Um, so today we're going to talk about the dumbest things we <laughs> we said or did. Specifically, uh, Bishop Jensen, do you want to start us off here? Sure. Thank you uh, for that wonderful introduction, Elder Jackson. The tell, tell me oh, it brought the I've spirit. Got, tell me it brought the spirit. You brought the spirit. I now <laughs> invoke the spirit of the Lord to be with and dwell within each of our hearts. As we review the 10 stupidest things I did or said while I was a member of the church. So I've mentioned this one on the podcast before, but um, I think I'll just bring it up for shits and giggles. Um, When my wife had left the church, but I was still in, she got a Keurig and brought it into our house, which I saw as the ultimate betrayal. And we got in a big argument about it and I threw it outside into a snowbank. (laughs) I love the the symbolism of that. You are you all you were As, doing was defending the honor of your home. Well, I think that that is probably as close as any Mormon has legitimately been to casting Satan out of their house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, did I mention last time about the exorcism? Did I mention no, how my mom you said that? Go ahead. I think Go I ahead. did I not say oh, that on you? the air? Oh, you may have. Um, maybe maybe I didn't. Do it I again didn't. for the true and faithful. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I, uh, we, we had Mandy on the show a few weeks back and they, they were talking about how they were, their parents brought over uh, a priest to cast the devil out of them because they're non-binary and the, it didn't work. And I told my family jokingly, I said, oh yeah, I, I met somebody who was part of a, an exorcism. And my mom says, oh, yeah, your your stepdad actually went and, and did an exorcism on a house the other day, cast the devil out of it. And I thought I was trying to make a joke about how silly it is. And my mom took it as he had a faith building experience. This is amazing. This is wonderful. <laughs> and uh, it was it was just the most awkward thing. I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't mean it like that. It was like a like a failed yeah i'm just gonna go and i literally just like left and drove home that was when we were saying goodbye i was it was i was trying to make a joke i was trying to leave on a haha funny note you know didn't work not at all yeah Uh, yeah so uh exorcisms great uh but i'm glad you cast the devil out of your home that's uh (laughs) yeah that was a crowning achievement is i exercised my priesthood in all righteousness (laughs) You also threw money out of the house. How much does a Keurig cost? It was a gift. So to oh. me, it was free. Okay. That's why, yeah. Had we spent money on it, I would have been more enraged for giving money to the, you know, corrupt organization. <laughs> was, Leading uh, was people it into in, sin. Was it in the box still or was it out? No, it was out. That's why I was like losing my shit. Oh, so you like, you like wrecked it then. Like it was no good after. No, like it. I just, I didn't like smash it. I just threw it outside. And then I think after that, I realized I'd taken this too far. And so then I brought it in and said, okay, we can work this out. We can figure this out. Just the Keurig stands. 
decaf only. Yeah, yeah. I will concede on this point, right? Decaf only, and it has to be cold when you drink it. You have to let it cool down. Yes. No hot hot drinks. drinks. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Cold ice brew, no problem. Easy, (laughs) easy. Monster, Red Bull, no problem. No problem. As long as they are chilled uh, for I, the Lord, have spoken. I think think my stepmom actually (laughs) got us, like my ex-stepmom, got us... uh, like an iced cappuccino or something, some iced coffee when we were kids. Mm-hmm. We went to Second Cup. We walked there and got this. And then I remember we got home and my dad was like, they can't have that. She wasn't a member. And yeah. my dad's like, they can't have that. You know, he's like, you just made my kids sit. He wasn't that mad about it. You know, he's not super mm-hmm. strict on that stuff, but he was basically like, never do that again. <laughs> like that's walking the line. And we had no idea. We were like, oh, is that like, it tasted so good though. We loved it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I also we're all d- jittery now. Yeah. I also don't, don't know how I feel about giving kids like caffeinated drinks in general. I, I feel like that's not like a great idea, but we liked it. We loved it. Yeah. What, okay. What, what's your next one? Well, and does anybody have any closing comments on coffee or the word of wisdom? I still haven't broken it. So Whoa. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You, go? you so, and John DeLynn must just congratulate each other all the time on how Mormonly unmormon you are. I just, I don't know. Well, maybe I have broken it. I don't know. No. Well, I guess I had that <laughs> cappuccino as a kid. Uh, but no, I. And that was yeah. the beginning of the end of your testimony. Yeah, really, exactly. That's, yeah. that's where it all started. Yeah. Okay. So as my wife was leaving the church and my testimony had crumbled, but I was still choosing to be faithful. I remember one conversation with her and telling her, I have lost all reason to believe, but I choose faith over doubt. And she looked at me and said, that's fucked up and you're brainwashed. (laughs) (laughs) So that also made me take a look at myself. So, I don't know what I would say to that. I like. Wh- I just kind of said maybe I like to myself. I didn't say anything. I think she got up and laughed. Um, and then I just kind of thought maybe I am. <laughs> maybe yeah. Maybe now that I've said it out loud to somebody, maybe I am brainwashed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you got that clarity. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, anything. Um, stupid you may have said along the lines of doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith? Um, hmm. I... Well, maybe encouraging people to remain in the Lord's one true church? I don't think so. I don't think... Yeah, I don't... I don't think I ever said anything about like that, actually. I, I remember when people would leave, I'd be like, so sad. But I never... Uh, I don't remember ever, ever saying anything like that. Really. I never really was a doubt my doubts person. Far too cold and logical. How about you, Counselor Davis? I'm trying to, I know there were many instances where I would see people leave and just kind of like shake my head and be like, they don't understand. Right. Mm. But I never said that to anybody. Um, There was one 
friend who was a convert only of like two or three years and she decided to leave the church. And I remember, okay, this was a stupid thing. I was like, well, you better rip up your temple recommend then just to like, 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 I guess like remove all privilege she had. Like, she's like, I don't believe anymore. I'm leaving the church. I'm like, well then rip up your temple recommend. I'm an idiot. Take that. (laughs) Yeah. How does, how does that feel? How does that feel? I, I love, the you know the different reality that we lived in mm-hmm. you know like it doesn't make sense it's like yeah if if she rips up her temple recommend she'll like feel it she'll feel the pain and the change and it's like it's just paper mm-hmm. it's just paper and it's just a building yep <laughs> yeah i re- i remember going to the bank and i had my temple recommend in a special plastic holder that had like a picture of the temple I received my endowments in. And I was at the bank and I open up my wallet and I see it in there. And while I'm waiting in line, I take it out and kind of have a look at it. And I was like, this has no power over me anymore. Hmm. It was like a real freeing. It was like, I don't give a shit about this thing anymore. Yeah. Wow. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, and did you slide it into like the little slit trash can on the counter? No, I think I kept it because I had some kind of emotional tie. It was just that I knew it was... A meaningful my parents bought me that little temple recommend holder and i knew it was important to them there's a lot of things that i'm holding that i've held on to because i'm like it means something to my family so mm-hmm. i don't feel good about throwing this in the garbage right now i the think three dollar temple recommend holder it was the it's not the, <laughs> the recommend holder wasn't important them taking me to receive my endowments was a very meaningful experience for them anyway i've over explained myself here <laughs> <laughs> okay all right. Any other uh, embarrassing thoughts or words, phrases on the the subject of losing your testimony or doubting your doubts before you doubt your faith? Uh, well, okay. Actually, I did. I remember sitting at dinner with the two sister missionaries who who were in my ward at the time, and I I told them I was like, yeah, I've kind of decided I don't care if it's true or not. And uh, at that point, I was. Like I, I didn't believe, but I was holding on to it because of the morals and the life lessons and my friends and family and everything that I got out of it. I was, I'm definitely one of the people who like benefit from a structure like that, right? I'm a white, straight man, you know, so it worked out for me, but I was still holding on to that. And so I, I remember telling them, I'm like, I don't really care if it's true or not. Like I, I've stopped, I've stopped trying to get a testimony because I tried for so long and never got it. And then I was like, maybe it doesn't matter if I have a testimony, it's still good. And that's, that's enough. And that was where I was at for like a, a, a few years. I don't know. Could you imagine hearing that as a missionary? I don't care if it's true or not. I'm gonna stay. It's like a weird. Yeah, that's a weird thing. Like, a, like a happy clap. But like, yeah, that's good. But good. Okay. <laughs> So does this mean you do hard callings or not? Because we need to get you to the point where you do hard callings. I I I I was the uh, the money clerk, whatever the financial clerk, financial clerk. Yeah, at the at the time. So hard calling. I even told the bishop. I was like, Bishop, I I hate this calling. I told him that. He he was like, Well, we need people we can trust in there. And I was like, Ugh, you know, appealing to my, <laughs> you know, need to be needed. Thing. right yeah 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 
so I stayed, but we very passively, aggressively encouraged people to pay online so that we didn't have to do anything. We like <laughs> one time, me and my friend, one of my best friends, actually, we were both financial clerks and uh, we hid the tithing slips and tithing envelopes. We like removed them from the little holder in the hallway and uh, and just put up a sign with instructions on how to pay online. <laughs> and and we got in trouble for that. But um that's brilliant. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's really like if you're running a bit like one thing like with payroll. Oh, where can you print my pay stub? Can you print my pay stub? Nope. Check it online. You can yeah. only check it online. We're not allowed to print them. Yeah. And then nobody asks for pay stubs, right? You didn't. Um, so similar kind of thing. But when you're running a small business, you can just do whatever the hell you want. But mm-hmm. with the church, it's like, how dare you? Yeah. How dare you disrupt the perfect and prescribed program of the Lord? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why it took them so long to become like in the 21st century to pay online. Like they could have set themselves up as a payee with every Canadian banking institution and had this figured out like 10 years ago. Well, it's just, it's just cause it's in the U S that like, cause it's based in the U S and they're behind on banking. Like their banking system is garbage. Every time I went out to eat, my friends are like, Oh, just Venmo me. And I'm like, how do I, how do I do this? I have to download a whole separate app. And then they have like three other apps that do the exact same thing. And then, so I showed them one time, I opened up my Canadian banking app and I just typed in my friend's email, mm-hmm. sent, and then he, he pulled it up and he showed them, he's like, money's in my account, done, easy. Yeah. No, no fee, no charge, no escrow, like nothing. It's just shows up in your account, easy. And they were like, wow, that's amazing. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> catch up, catch up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know, like using, because we use uh, a U.S. bank for U.S. entities and just like getting reports uh, out of that one is just like, it's archaic compared to the Canadian uh, banking, online banking we've used. So. Yeah, so part, what a divergence part, pardon from... us to all of our many American <laughs> listeners. We know that most of you are in the United States of America and that you have to deal with this banking system. We would just like to personally testify of the glories of the Canadian banking system and invite you to come visit whenever the borders open. I'm going to guess that most of our U S listeners are too busy chanting USA, USA, USA to notice (laughs) that there's like how archaic they're. Well, and they're, they're probably also too busy thinking, wait, is this the XX Mormon podcast or is this the, yeah, the U S banking system sucks podcast. (laughs) So moving on to your next point. (laughs) Missionary work. So, and now that I've mentioned this one, I'm actually thinking of a few under this. So when I was in the single adult ward, I was the ward missionary and the missionaries in our ward were told. Ward mission, the ward mission leader. What did I say I was? The the ward missionary. Oh, I was the ward mission leader. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Big I was, deal. Yeah. I was the all powerful almighty. The thing about being ward mission leader is that you kind of operate outside of the rest of the ward council, right? You kind of mm-hmm. get to be a cowboy because yeah. it's like, well. I answer to you, Bishop, but also the stake and also the mission president. And I just kind of look, tell me what the the mission plan is, but we're just going to get our thing done. Right. Anyway. um, So the missionaries, their, their mission president receives a divine revelation that there are 10 people in the ward who know somebody who is ready to listen to the missionaries and that we will be able to find this person through thoughtful prayer within one week. And because I'm the ward mission leader, of course, the Lord has chosen me 
to find one person within one week. And the missionaries tell me this. And I'm like, I don't know anybody who lives in the ward boundaries, who's not a member of the church. They're like, well, what about from university? I'm like, everybody I go to school with does not live within the ward boundaries. So if the Lord has told you that I have found there is somebody for me to find or challenge to receive the missionary lessons, I don't know them yet. So you're telling me like I have to, but these sister missionaries were like really tough, stern. They start guilt tripping me about like not being able to find somebody and they're like acting devastated and I can't find. And then I awkwardly like ham fist an invitation to somebody who's in the other YSA ward boundaries, but still in the stake. That was like the closest I could get. And then they just stopped like texting me back. (laughs) And that was like as close as I could get. And I'm telling them, and they're like perpetually disappointed in me. And I've like failed in their eyes as a ward mission leader. And then who fulfills this challenge out of everybody they challenged? None other than counselor Davis. What? And and so, so, so this is sister missionaries had a crush on you. One of them had a crush on you for sure. Because I, I remember you were in the elders corn presidency and you came toward missionary correlation meeting and I, I you sat next to her or close by her and I remember her blushing. I oh I made a, I made a lot of that, girls blush. That happened to you so many times you wouldn't notice, but I remember and I'm like, holy crap, this fucking douche is like doing the challenge. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> fucking guy. So, so, so I'll tell you. About, yeah. Okay. Tell us about so it. my embarrassing story. So I'm working downtown and I run into this guy that I went to junior high with. So like, I haven't seen him for maybe 10, 12 years. And I run into him on the LRT. So the, just the, the above land train in Calgary. And we start talking. I said, Hey, you know, let's grab lunch. And I'm like, I'm going to give this sucker a book of Mormon. And so we meet for lunch like a week later and I have the book of Mormon with me. And I'm like, I'm going to fulfill this challenge from the sister missionaries. And I like, yeah, we have, we have um, lunch uh, in bankers hall in Calgary downtown. And I pull out the book of Mormon and I try to give it to him. And he's like, no, no, thank you. Um, And I forgot to, um, uh, I neglected to remember that he was probably one of the smartest guys that I knew in, in junior high. Like, and he was a, an investment banker. Like he, he's very, very talented and very smart. And he had no time for this magical religion that I was trying to push on him. And I asked him all these questions. He's like, no, I think ethically I'm a good person. I don't need your, your fables to help me understand, you know, my purpose on this, on this earth. So totally dejected, but then like, the next day I go to work and I find this girl who lives in the ward boundaries who starts asking me about the church. And I have this book of Mormon in my, my backpack. So I give it to her and she's like, yeah, I'll meet, I'll meet the sister missionaries when, and I was like, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And, uh, and she met with the sister missionaries once and never again, but she came to church, right? She came to church um, the, that week weekend and then met with the sister missionaries, but nothing happened. But yeah, miracle, man. Wow. So. I love how even when it doesn't work out, it's like still a miracle. It's like, she's ready. I can, I can feel it. You know, she's getting there. It, this is just planting the seed. You yeah. Know? 
Well, for me, it was like, and it was this big, like, um, um, lesson that I shared in like family home evening or something. Like I thought it was this person who I had lunch with downtown, but it was actually this person who the Lord was preparing. And even though I tried my best, like, and it is, I guess it's a good practical lesson right now. Like I tried my hardest over here, but the Lord's like, no, I have this person prepared. And uh, yeah, I remember that was a pretty, uh, pretty heroic um, lesson that I gave. So um I don't even remember these sister missionaries. I, I didn't even remember that they were like sister missionaries and not. All right. Well, I'll brother, never brother missionaries. Well, because they just, they ended up like, they really pissed me off. And then they ended up pissing off every member in the ward. Cause everybody, like when you're the ward mission leader, everybody comes and complains to you about the missionaries. And it's a YSA <laughs> ward. You, it's full of RMs. So they're even more high and mighty. Yeah. So people start coming up to me. They're like, what the hell are the sister missionaries doing? I'm like, what, what do you mean? Well, they gave me this one week challenge, which was like impossible. And then when I couldn't do it, they just made me feel guilty. I'm like, yeah, like join the club, right? I'm right there with you. Their mission president's a psychopath. I don't know. Right. Uh, and but then, Counselor uh, Davis did it. Counselor Davis. Yeah. And then they're just the sister missionaries are just freaking in love with you. And <laughs> this is ridiculous. So then we get these elders to whitewash the sisters out. And they're, they're, ta- I'm like, guys. Listen, the ward hates you because of this challenge. If you go around challenging people, they you won't get dinner appointments. And I won't even like I'm not even ready to meet with you guys because frick, we're all pissed off. Right. And they're like, well, you know, funny thing we went through. They kept a little binder of everybody they gave a, 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 a 10, a, a seven day challenge to. And then we went through the ward list and it's basically the same list. So it's not really an inspired challenge when you challenge everybody, is it? And I'm like, OK, you guys are cool. <laughs> like game on you guys can stay right i love it <laughs> so so it was yeah it was good um so any other i've got another when i was first home from my mission me and my mom went to one of my cousin's weddings um it was in washington state and so we we're driving to the seattle temple from calgary and i remember stopping at a dairy queen and i was maybe a month i was less than a month home from my mission but i gave a pass along card to the girl at the till <laughs> and talked to her all about, but the thing what like, I remember all these people talking about how like you go on your mission and people come home and they just forget uh-huh. and they just forget everything they learned about sharing the gospel and they stop. And, and so I was like, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to come home and be a lifelong missionary and whatever. So I was just trying to prove that to myself. So, um, any other embarrassing missionary stories from either of you guys? I don't think so. I, well, okay. The, you were, you were an anti-evangelist though, right? Like your whole I, life you hated. Yeah. Your, so, your so the missionaries lived with us growing up. Yeah. And so like, I, I remember probably from the time I was six until I was 14 the missionaries lived with us mm-hmm. and and so i that's grew up insane that's yeah. insane yeah yes. oh, and i like we we loved it we were still in touch with a few of the missionaries who lived with us and they've come to visit and we've hung out and stuff but it was that was kind of what put me off of going on a mission in the first place was because i saw you know, that these were just guys, you know, everybody else was like, the missionaries are so awesome. All the other kids, you know, they're always taught like the missionaries are so awesome. And I'm sitting there thinking, 
uh, one of the sisters that lived with us threw a broom at my stepbrother. One of <laughs> one time I came home and the elders were playing video games on our TV. They were just sitting in our basement <laughs> gaming. And when I was like, what the heck? Aren't you guys supposed to be like doing the Lord's work? They, they said, oh, well, my companion's sick. And I was thinking like, so read your scriptures or something. Like I was like super <laughs> judgmental. And so because, because of that, I just, I never had, you know, a glowing view of, of missionaries. And yeah. then as I got older and started to realize, I don't know if I even believe this thing. That's when I kind of started to become more anti-evangelism, just kind of privately. I still told my parents that I was going on a mission to like appease them. And, you know, I talk, I'd go talk to my bishop to get my record or like my papers started and then I just like chat with the bishop. Like we wouldn't even start my record or my my papers. We just talk. Well, he did most of the talking. He he was a talker. Um, and so yeah, I never had this this golden view. But there was this one time we were pulling a prank. I don't know if I've shared this on the show or not. But we were pulling this prank on uh, this sister missionary, this other sister missionary. And so in the lesson we were doing a lesson with a guy that I baptized and we're sitting there and for the prank on the sister, I had to pretend to be like totally uninterested. And so I just like sat on my phone the whole time. And this guy who's my friend, he's probably sitting there like, what's Alex's deal? Cause he wasn't in on the prank. He had no idea, but I was just sitting on my phone this whole, whole lesson. Um, yeah, that's, I don't know why, <laughs> why I shared that story, but it was, uh, yeah, we were pulling a prank to convince a sister that I had like gone inactive and, and stuff and was, and was struggling. And that was actually, I got to air a lot of my grievances through like playing this part. <laughs> and, uh, and then I like the whole time I knew I was like, you know, I'm just like saying things that I actually think of. And uh, watching them like try, but I'm just pretending, you know, mm. and um, yeah, we pull, pulled the prank. She still, I mean, she still thinks I'm inactive. I guess I, I, I've left the church now. So, I mean, it's true, but yeah, we worked really hard to convince her. Good times, good times with the missionaries. So yeah, that's my, that's my whole mission experience. Experience. Yeah. Counselor Davis, anything else to share? I just remember I was sitting in on a discussion with the missionaries in the YSA ward and they had had um, uh, an investigator and she was like super quiet and nice and she was interested and it was like her third discussion. And I was sitting in during the, the invitation to be baptized and the girl, like you could tell that she was intellectual. She was studying at the university, like her third degree or something. She's like, well, I, you know, I like what you're saying, but I just want to do some more investigating, right? Just to like learn more before I commit, because this is a big commitment, like totally reasonable. She was like mm -hmm. completely reasonable. And I'm like, well, what if the test was tomorrow? Would you study for the test like as soon as possible or would you wait? And like, because you don't know when the test for this life will come and you need to be baptized to be ready for it. And I was like, a total douche. Like, like she was being completely reasonable. She probably would have been baptized if, um, I, I don't know what happened to her, 
but yeah, just coming off like super strong and like totally cringe. And just, there's, there's a few times where I like said something or like interjected and it was totally unnecessary because I felt like they needed a little shove towards the truth. Mm -hmm. How did she respond when you said that? Just like, uh, she's like, yeah, you're right. Like if the test was tomorrow, I would study, but there's nothing to say that the test is tomorrow. Like a really good rebuttal, polite and, and and like, but out of like, yeah. Yeah. Just. (laughs) Okay. So the dating fishbowl experiment. So counselor Davis, when you and I were in the singles ward, the stake president decided that not enough people were dating. So he made the Bishop pick 12 men and 12 women from the ward who were single and the men had to take each of the women on three dates within three months. So 36 dates in three months, that's like three dates a week. You had to go on. It wasn't compulsory. Anybody had the chance to leave, but at the same time, when a leader of the church who, you know, called of God, et cetera, et cetera, asked you to do something, you're expected to do it. So I believe you were not selected. I think you were dating someone at the time, right? And no, that was the thing. I wasn't dating anyone and I wasn't involved. Like there was a little, little bit of uh, like, what the fuck? Why is, why is counselor Davis not in this? <laughs> but I think the Bishop knew that I, I was dating and I wasn't a weirdo. So I could probably figure it out by myself. No, the thing was, was like, I was also <laughs> oh, the poor girls in that group. <laughs> well, it was like, like, it was like six decent guys, six weird guys, six decent girls, six weird girls. Right. And so it was kind of like on the first day. Is that is that how you're spinning it? All right. Well, the thing, like I was actively going on dates, and I was actively like dating. Like I'd been on a couple of dates with somebody else who got put in the fishbowl, and then it just got weird because it was like we were previous, and it's like, are you doing this? She's like, I don't know. Are you doing this? I'm like, I, I are we getting serious? Is this? Do we need it? She's like, I don't know. And then it just kind of all imploded on itself, and it was just like it was the dumbest, weirdest thing that ever happened. Gotta love yeah. matchmaker. Matchmaker was, bishops so, but are it, the worst. It's like people in their mid twenties. Mm-hmm. Like it, bizarre, right? Very much bizarre. And uh, I think that was the most cultish thing I experienced, other than the prayer circle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was gonna say, I'm like <laughs> that. That was the most cultish. <laughs> that was like the ultimate, like just in control, right? And right. the number of people who went along with it was absurd, right? Right, right. I think probably seventy percent of people probably did the first couple dates so our our mutual friend s nelson he was involved in that as well right yeah yes yeah yeah do you any other weird dating stories Hmm. with a particularly lds slant i remember being like called out by by girls for my behavior like i i was I was not in it for, um, if I wasn't in it for a long time with these girls, I would just like get out as soon as possible. As soon as I knew that I wasn't, wasn't going to be with them, I would like, you know, be done with them. And this one girl, you know, we were getting along. She had been relief society president. Um, like she was a good girl and we went on our third date or something. And then I kissed her and she stuck her tongue so far down my throat. (laughs) I like, I like freaked out and like quickly ended it and like left. And I was like shaking. Like I was like literally like shaking. Cause I didn't know. I thought we had 
committed some grievous sin. Um, and I like broke up with her. I was like, that Cammy. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Cause she told me about that. What she did. <laughs> yes. Yes. She was like, you know what? And she, cause she was older than she was a bit older than me. Right. She's a bit older than me. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and you're a bit older than me. So. Oh, anyway, settle down now. But her, her sister was married to one of my young men's leaders. So that was how her and I just started kind of talking. Right. And, um, and then she was trying to give me like sage advice as a newly returned missionary about dating and getting back into the dating world or whatever. And I remember saying like, there's just some young guys, they've got no idea what the hell they're talking about. Mark Stovall thinks he knows what making out. Oh, sorry. <laughs> my full my full fucking name thanks man i th- i think we're all outed on this podcast at this point anyways <laughs> but counselor davis he thinks he knows what making out's all about he doesn't he wouldn't know what making out is if uh, if a woman tried to make out with him and i'm like oh like tell me how you really feel like this is really this is very no, like i to that point, I'd done like very little French kiss, kissing. Like I didn't right. kiss until I was 21 years old, right. uh, a little late to the game and yeah. didn't really French until I like, you know, maybe 24, 25. And so she like, she was the one that like kind of burst my bubble right. um, with tongue, a foreign tongue in my mouth. Right. And uh, it, it, yeah, like shocked me. I remember like physically like shaking so bad because <laughs> I like didn't know how to deal with this yeah yeah that's funny i had no i had no idea i love the guilt the the guilt stuff that yeah mormons put themselves through when i when i left when i was done i was it was like all of a sudden i was like wait a second wait a second i can feel fine and happy about myself i don't have to feel (laughs) bad every little thing that i that i do have ever done yeah yeah yeah. and i i mean i remember just kissing a girl and depending on the day some days she'd feel guiltier about it than others and uh it was just kissing fine you know that brings something up so i was dating another girl and we really liked each other physically like a lot a lot and we just spent so much time kissing like and then uh like an unhealthy amount of time kissing so what did we do as mormons we had a kissing fast we didn't kiss for oh, a week yeah 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 we did Is that, that savannah <laughs> shut up <laughs> no did no I it call her? Her. Oh, okay no it wasn't her. you gotta stop naming names bishop okay i'm all naming first names how many freaking Mormon savannas do you think there are? Oh, I just named like 25% of the women in Utah for sure. <laughs> but we're not in Utah. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> yeah, because I, I don't edit these. So everything you said is in here. So, uh, okay, let's <laughs> go on to the next one. What's it, your next it one? Was, it, was not, it was not Savannah, just for okay. the record. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, the bet. Counselor Davis, do you want to talk about the bet? Sure. So um, Bishop Jensen and I, we had this uh, friendly rivalry that uh, resulted in a bet. So whoever lost the bet would have to buy the other person a steak dinner at a kind of a, a higher end uh, steakhouse. At the keg. We can, just keg. Na- we can name that name, right? Is that a higher end steakhouse? I feel like that's like the low end steakhouse. When, when you are a, a poor university student, that is that's, the high end. I mean, yeah. it's, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad food. 
I'm just, you know, it's not like a high-end steakhouse. It's not, it's not. But, you know, a $35 steak was, yeah. was, was expensive for us. I mean, for me, it's still expensive. I feel like $35 for me, steak should... For it is should, also still expensive. I feel like that should feel expensive to everybody. That's an expensive steak. That's an expensive food. I'm, I'm telling a story here. Okay, okay. Please go on, go on, <laughs> so, counselor. So a, a steak dinner. Um, so the bet was whoever got married first won. Like that's an insane bet. So I was just reminiscing about the whole bet with my wife earlier today, actually. And she's like, that was probably the stupidest thing that you've ever done. Like, was it a motivation to like move the relationship along with my wife to marriage? Maybe a $35 steak. That's pretty good motivation. <laughs> Anyway, so I, I won the bet and coincidentally, um, well, not coincidentally, but our mutual friend, S. Nelson, he was the witness of this bet. And so he somehow was able to weasel his way into the bet. And regardless of who won the bet, he would get a steak dinner as well because he was the witness. And so I remember like a week or two before I got married, we all went to the keg and uh Bishop Jensen was paying. So I ordered like um, a surf and turf, like a $45. You got lobster too, right? And you got like a starter salad that you didn't even want. And you got like. (laughs) (laughs) I was milking it. Like I made my pie and got a surf and turf, got lobster and got like, yeah, like uh, a couple appetizers, a salad and then like a soda or whatever, just to like drive up the, the bill just a little bit more. I think the bill was like $150 like for you and Seth, for you and S. Nelson. For all three of us. Like it wasn't, I didn't have to take out a loan for it, but. uh... (laughs) Yeah. So that was a, that was a pretty, uh, pretty low thing to do to make a bet to see who would get married first. That's way to like trivialize the, the sanctity of marriage with a steak dinner bet. I think if you tell this to active Mormons though, or if we would have like active Mormons who knew about it, they didn't think it was the weirdest thing. Oh yeah. That, they that, weren't like, yeah, it what, was totally what a motivation to make your covenants. Great work. <laughs> I remember this is, this was the way it happened. It was after an elders quorum activity. And I remember me, you and S Nelson and another guy, F Kraus, we're all, <laughs> <laughs> and, and Mr. F would keep talking about like, uh, why do you think it's so hard to get married or what's the most important, blah, 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 something, something, marriage, something, something, marriage, something, something, trying to get married. And I was just like, I've been listening to you older guys talking about getting married for like last freaking year. I'm putting my money. Counselor Davis, we're getting a bet right now. <laughs> First person to get married gets a steak dinner. That's it. No more talking about getting married. We're just doing it. I love that. I, I wish I wish we could go back in time and walk into the institute and just like grab our eleven years ago selves and just like slap them and just be like, you are so stupid. Like go work up like go work on building up yourself. Go get a career, you know, figure out how to be a person, like a decent person, and stop doing these stupid bets and just like spending a ton of time worrying about getting married because there's other things to do in life. Yes. Yeah. Uh there but like the funnier thing about it was I wasn't seeing anybody seriously at the time and you weren't seeing somebody seriously at the time or were you? I, I think I had just broken up with LK. Okay. And so it was like, it was like, 
I still thought that we would have this wrapped up by the end of the year. And it took like a year and a half to come to a close. But in my mind, when I'm doing it, I'm like, I've got no prospects, but yeah, reasonably I could expect myself, you know, getting engaged before year end. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I, and I totally, totally hear you. Like, it wasn't like, it wasn't like a five-year goal. It was like, I got to figure this out. I got to knock this out in about six to eight months. months. So you'd go out with somebody and I'd be like, oh shit, I better start saving up. And then I'd go out with somebody and you'd be like, oh crap, what's going on? And then yeah, enough things fell apart. But I remember like, yes, in dating, the steak dinner was in the back of my mind about like <laughs> finding out where this relationship was going. It's uh, so dumb. And every time, whenever I saw your, whenever I saw your mom, Counselor Davis at like a steak thing, she'd be like, you're saving up for that steak dinner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it was just, oh man. And that, like I said, nobody thought this was weird or um, uh, like weird or stupid, yeah, stupid like, or unclassy or mm-hmm. it like, was like, that's what probably, Mormon boys, all Mormon boys should be making steak dinner bets about when they're going to get married. Like probably the most important decision of who you're going to spend, you know, the rest of eternity with yeah. is being like tainted by this cheap ass steak dinner bet right like yeah. it's yeah it's insane that i that that was one of my biggest things i was like isn't it ironic how it's like this is the most important decision you'll make in all of eternity forever and ever this is the number one top decision now quick hurry up and make it well in your early 20s and just bring kids into the mix immediately yeah, yeah. it's like wait a wait a second yeah. <laughs> is that a good idea yeah i remember so you you got married like uh, probably a year, year and a half before I did. So the steak dinner's in the past. And then somehow Ashley hears about this bet. And she's like, you did that? And I'm like, well, like it was kind of like, let me explain myself. It's like, what's there to explain? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> so I think she was doubting whether or not she wanted to marry me when she found out about that, that I'd done this <laughs> stupid thing. Anyways. Just so many cringe things like, yeah, like my wife is like, if I, if I was not as indoctrinated as I was, there's no way I would have dated you. Like I was, I was a douche. Like I, like I was a good Mormon guy, but like I better than most, I would say, but like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. She was just so tired of the Mormon scene in Ontario that she had to like find more people to date. Mm. yeah and like she like her sole purpose of moving out to alberta was to find someone to marry that's for a lot uh, tons of young mormons come from ontario and stuff to yeah just find somebody to marry here it's crazy like Mm -hmm. just want to give these young kids like hey you know what go work on yourself go travel get educated try stuff you don't need to get married if you want to get married 30 is a great number Mm -hmm. wait till then Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Okay, next next dumb thing. Next Bishop. one, going on a mission. <laughs> that's just that's just your dumb that, thing. That was a dumb thing I did. I think, I mean, postponing uh, university for three years, thinking that somehow the Lord would make it up to me for, you know, that lost time, and then I'd somehow magically catch it up. But losing three years of earnings is losing three years of earnings. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> like that's it. Like you never get that time back. Right. Well, and plus, plus, uh, you know, you paid for your mission as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So also yeah. being behind, I mean, I had, uh, based on the tuition I was paying, which was about 2,500 bucks a semester back then I had four semesters of university saved up before I had two years of university tuition saved up to go on a mission. Yeah. I, I got to disagree with you on that. Just the, like the mission, I agree, you know, what I was teaching was kind of stupid. Um, but like I learned a ton about myself and I learned how to talk to people and I learned how to sell, um, which is, you know, in, in business or entrepreneurship is, is a good thing to have. And basically everything in life is a negotiation. So, you know, I don't write it off as a complete loss, but I do hear you in terms of like deferring university for three years mm-hmm. and, and like basically coming back and being a little socially inept, mm-hmm. uh, you know, dealing with, with like class uh, or group projects in class and just like navigating post high school life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are probably better ways to get the experiences of a mission, like better ways to get the things that a mission gives you than going away for two years to a random place to tell people that they're living their life wrong. Mm -hmm. I didn't like, I knew I learned how to sell the church really well, but in my mind, I wasn't learning how to sell if that makes sense. So I just thought it was proclaiming the gospel. So I didn't see it as like a transferable skill. But like, but the church is like program with, you know, building a relationship of trust, I guess, you know, trying to share the gospel in Spanish was interesting because I really had to cut out the crap. Yeah. Cause I had to just, I just had very simple words that I deferred to because that's basically all I knew. Yeah. And so when I look at it kind of retroactively, I'm like, okay, you know, I did well tracting. I love tracting. I could get in like a lot of doors and I was constantly told by my companions and like, you know, one day transfers like, Hey, you actually are pretty good at getting into doors. Cause I, you know, looking back now, I think, you know, I, I made a pretty good, um, uh, I made the message super easy to understand. I only focused on one thing all the time and just kind of hammered that mm-hmm. and kind of just like perfected my craft around that. And so like later in life now, I've just learned like, okay, you know, make your message really simple, mm-hmm. focus on one thing and kind of hammer that. And I don't know, maybe I'm trying to pull uh, the diamonds out of the rough in the experience, but I just, I don't, I I can't write it off as a complete waste Mm -hmm. entirely. Right. I mean, it's taken me, I like, I clung to this experience for a long time as being important and meaningful, but I think it's the more I talk about it and the more I talk about the things I walked away with personally, it was kind of, I was like, I think I could have gotten that experience elsewhere. It wasn't only here. Yeah. that And that was the thing for me that helps me look back on and say, do you know what? That's a waste of time for me. And I can't speak for everybody, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I mentioned this in one of our earliest episodes, but proposing to somebody after a few weeks of dating because God told me to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I think we all agree and that's he, dumb. That was retarded. <laughs> I, that was just, uh, anybody have any dumb things they did because they thought the Lord told them to? Hmm. I would, I would wake up like, like 
like in physical distress because I didn't know if God wanted me to move forward with dating a girl or not. Like there was such this reliance on, okay, is God telling me to go forward or not? Mm-hmm. Instead of like, hey, just take a couple weeks, take a couple months, date them, like learn about them. But no, I'm like, I got to I gotta know right now if this is the Lord's will for me. Yeah. And I, I jumped the gun a whole lot with breaking up with girls because I didn't feel it was the Lord's will. Me hmm. too. Hmm. Me too. Yeah, I, I don't know if I ever did anything particular. I don't know. I never really... Not even dating related, just generally something. No, yeah, God, God I just told you to do something, and it was a disaster. Well, I mean, there there were a lot of things that I did because I thought like, oh, that's what that's what God wants me to do, but not like a, oh, the Lord commanded me to do this. It was more like the church commanded me, and the church speaks for God, like that kind of, oh, okay, that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know if there was anything particular where I was like. I gotta, I gotta do this because that's what God told me to do. And then it just turns out awkwardly. It was always just, I just kept the commandments, I guess. I'm kind of lame, I guess. Sorry. Well, we, we will find something you did that was embarrassing. Oh, there are, there are lots of things that I did that, that <laughs> was emb- embarrassing. Do you want one? Yes, please share from your list. The reason why I'm putting this list out here is that if somebody can just hear and understand what it was like to be a Mormon, I th- like it's just, you got to look back at yourself and laugh. Mm-hmm. And everybody's got some of these skeletons in their closet. And if we can all just laugh about each other, we can get over it, right? Yeah, yeah. One thing yeah. One thing on my list, uh, this is like a really, really little thing, but I remember like feeling turmoil over it uh, was I worked at Little Caesars and we sold pop at Little Caesars, and one of those pops was Coke. Like, we sold Coca-Cola. And I just remember 15-year-old me thinking, what am I doing? How, like, how can I be true to myself if I'm offering people these, these bad drinks? And every time somebody ordered a Coke with their, with their uh, order, I just, I felt guilty like i felt bad and i was like if only they knew what the lord wants for them it was like it's not even coffee or anything and i knew i knew that like coke wasn't strictly against the word of wisdom but i still was like they're not living the higher law like i am (laughs) i know i remember like even as a scout sometimes we go to tim hortons after an activity to get donuts but i can remember being like I don't know about this guys because they sell coffee and how can we financially support them by buying donuts so that they can sell more coffee. And then even as a young professional, everybody wants to go to Starbucks, you know, first thing in the morning and I'm going to Starbucks and being like, I don't, I know I'm only getting hot chocolate, but I don't know about, I'm still supporting the cause of Satan. Still in the atmosphere of it. Yeah. You can see the coffee beans and, and smell smell what's brewing. Yeah, being tempted, being coaxed by the chains of Satan. His flaxing cords turn into chains, etc., etc. I I dated uh, this girl who had just finished university, and like as a good person that wanted to be responsible, she was looking for kind of a, a short term job before she got a job in her field. 
And so she applied to work at a coffee, not a coffee shop, a tea shop, like a oolong tea shop, just down the road from her, from her house. And I was like, so upset that she would even like consider working at like a tea shop. And it was like a, it was like a long, hard discussion. And she's like, I'm, I'm just, you know, I just need a part-time job just to like make a few bucks in between this transition. And she completely reasonable. And I'm like, no, that's like, that's like working, you know, like in like an adult video store. Would you be a stripper? <laughs> yeah. Would you be a stripper? Like, this is insane. And she's like, okay, okay. Like if you, if you don't want me to do that, I won't do it. And then like, then I went off again and I'm like, no, you need to do it for yourself. Don't do it for me. <laughs> like I was just insane. I have no idea why, why she would stay, why she stayed with me. Like I was just, yeah. Holy cow. Uh, what were her, what were her initials? <laughs> <laughs> no more, no more initials. AB. <laughs> oh, for real? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay naming names here another uh david like so many of these are coming back to dating but um i broke up with my high school girlfriend because i believed i received a revelation that it was time for the relationship to end this was about six months before i went on my mission and then i come home from my mission and she went to the university of calgary for a couple years and met a bunch of other mormons there and then she moved to edmonton um but I came home for my mission and some people in the ward were like, Oh, did you go out with AE? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, and you broke up with her because God told you to. And I'm like, uh, next question. Uh, <laughs> it's such a good cop out though. It's like, <laughs> Oh yeah. Why, why are you breaking up with me? Uh, yeah. God, God told me to. So sorry. To, like, to be fair, I'd gotten myself in this. We, we went out for like three or three and a half years. Like it was, we spent a lot of time together. We built our social structure or social circles around each other. So it was like in friends when Ross and Rachel break up and like the friends are always picking sides of who they're hanging out with. That was kind of what happened. It was like Friday night. It was like a race for us to phone our shared group of friends mm-hmm. to find out what they're doing. It was like, what are you guys doing? Uh, nothing. Nothing. I'm like, Amanda's there already, isn't she? Uh, I mean, AE's already there, isn't she? And they're like, maybe. Uh, <laughs> maybe see you tomorrow. Bye. <laughs> right? Um, so, yeah, it was a bit traumatic when we broke up because of that. And then, so I tried to just say, look, like, I'm going on my mission. It's going to be two years. You've got your own life. you got to think about, like, you can't, no, I can wait. I want to wait. I'm in love with you, blah, blah, blah. And then it just kind of, the more I kept trying to just break up, the more she kept pushing back, which just made me come out to God told me to do it. I don't know how else to say God told me to do it. I have to, I'm going on a mission, live your own life. See you later. (laughs) She, she dropped the L bomb. Oh, we were dropping the L like we were teenagers. We were dropping the L bomb all the time. Like we didn't know what it meant. Like, yeah, we were stupid in 18. Like you think, you know what the L word, I, I mean, I dropped the L word when I was 24 and I thought I knew what that meant. And then, you know, 10 years later, it's a whole new meaning. So, so grown up, yeah. <laughs> still getting there. <laughs> hey, any other weird dating detox from our times in Mormonism or no. Okay. Crickets. Hey, all right. So my number two on my top 10 list, 
somebody asked me about the word of wisdom at a work function where they were drinking. They asked me why I wasn't drinking. And I pulled out the doctrine and covenants on my phone <laughs> and read through section 89 with them. The whole section, just the part about strong drinks and explained like revelation and prophets and Joseph Smith. You know, I, I think that's worse than the time when a girl quoted the declaration of independence to me on a date. <laughs> go on the, this girl we're on a date and i'm trying yeah. to i'm uh, it was a double date my roommate had set me up with this girl it was like this girl was the roommate of the granddaughter of an elderly missionary couple who served in my roommate's mission so it's like way disconnected but somehow he's he's like yeah go on a date with my roommate and he hadn't even met this girl and so we go on this double date in Rexburg. We're at New Fong's, the, one of the Chinese restaurants in Rexburg. And I'm making jokes and we're, we're all laughing. The waitress is laughing, but this girl I'm on a date with is not laughing. Like she doesn't think any of it's funny. And she says, well, actually, and since I was studying history, a lot of the jokes were about history, right? And, and she just says, well, actually, and then corrects my joke that I made. And I'm thinking, it's a joke. And then we just having a miserable time. We get back to my apartment and we're sitting there chatting. And she just turns to my roommate and she says, I have the Declaration of Independence memorized. Do you want to hear it? And he was like, no, that's okay. And she just like starts at the table while we're playing cards. The most random, weird weird thing but here's the thing i could have like quoted scripture masteries i memorized all the scripture masteries in in high school like mm -hmm. in seminary i got yeah. all of them i was a i was a pro but yeah okay that's my that's my dating memorizing problem story how long is the declaration of independence that's pretty impressive yeah i i don't know how long it is but it might have just been like the preamble of it like it might not have been like the whole thing was she cute uh when she when i first picked her up she was and right. and then uh and then as the night went on i was like this person sucks i <laughs> am hating my whole time with her yeah <laughs> man i'm just thinking about her state of mind how anxious uh or distraught do you have to be to just randomly blurt out the declaration of independence to try and yeah, she was in some weird Something. homeschool program growing up where they didn't learn how to read until they were 12. And she also joined the church when she was 14 against her parents' wishes. She like went and lived with a member family and so that she could get baptized. And then she calls them mom and dad and then like, and then went and saw her family on weekends. It was very, very strange because she had to be, Mormon and she was studying she was studying education so that she could homeschool her kids so we like when you got set up on this was it a blind date oh yeah it was blind for both of us even for my so roommate did, who set us you, up he didn't even you, know her oh you did so no vetting <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah it was it was something else weird girl from the uh the the weird girl who fled her one cult to join another cult um wants to go on a blind date with you <laughs> yeah awesome yeah um counselor davis anything else to share on on the subject of pulling out the scriptures at awkward times to 
illuminate people about the truth of the Lord's will? Uh, one time I went to Hawaii with some friends and they, uh, all, all members, and we had a good time. And, but on Sunday we went to the beach and they were just going to go into the water uh, in the evening. Like it was beautiful. We're in Waikiki, like fantastic atmosphere, like just beautiful. And there's four of us and I refused to go into the water on the Sabbath. And like, I was like, I'm not, I'm not swimming. It's Sunday guys. Like it, I'm not swimming like at all. And so the three of them, they, you know, had their bathing suits on and they all went swimming for like an hour. And I just like stood there in my, my higher celestial state of perfectedness and refused to go in the water in like possibly the most beautiful place on the world in, in the world. So, um, I didn't, I didn't shout scripture at them, but I was, I was pretty self-righteous. Wow. Anything else in the vein of self-righteousness? Oh, I was, um, I was the years 2005 to 2009. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else from you there, uh, Elder Jackson? Uh, yeah, I was very self-righteous. I remember hearing uh, my, my mom and sister went to Tonga for like a humanitarian thing. And then one of the people that they met while they were there, he would go swimming with like his garments on like top and bottom. And, and he told them, he's like, yeah, he's like, well, it's because of my covenants. And I, when they told me that story, I was like, that is the man I want to be just like, so, so committed to his covenants that it's like, even when swimming. And from, from then on, I was like, I was like, yeah, I was like, swimsuits should be completely covering your garments. Like always, I always thought, I was like, why is that, you know, why, why don't you have to wear them while you're swimming, you know? Like you should absolutely, you know, be covered. It, they protect you and it's your covenants day and night, always. I was like obsessed. And then, but by the time I went through the temple myself, I was already PMO. So I, I already didn't care. But yeah, that's what I was as a teenager. Wow. That, wow, that's great. Speaking that- of speaking of covenants, uh, I'll just digress a little bit more here. So like in our mission, we were always looking for like challenges that we could do to motivate the missionaries. And there was a missionary that had um, come home and he was going to stay over um, in the mission house or mission home for one night. And so, but he was like amped, he wanted to go tracting. So I was working in the mission office at the time. So he came and he said, you know, do you want to go out on splits with me? So him and I went out tracting. And before we left, he like, He's like, we need to, we need to pray. I'm like, sure. Yeah, no problem. So we knelt down and he like, during his prayer, he like made a covenant. He was like, Lord, we, you know, we covenant to do this and this and this, and please bless us with, you know, you know, three discussions or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool and kind of weird. But we got up and, you know, we did exactly what we covenant covenanted to do. And we were blessed with what we'd asked for. So with that, I like was so excited. I came back to like the, the APs, the assistance to the president. And I was like, Hey, you know, we need to start implementing these covenants every single time that we, you know, leave to go tracting because this is how the work should be done. And so it became like this mission wide thing. And I think we really um, overlooked like what a covenant is and like how important it is. Cause we were like making covenants or what we thought were covenants 
left, right, and center. Uh, and it was kind of insane. And I'm like, that's really crazy. And would never share that with anyone outside the church because it's mm-hmm. crazy. Uh, that spread to our mission. I remember the APs training us and saying that when we pray and set goals, it's appropriate for us to covenant with the Lord to do something. And we'd missionaries would end up doing like weird things and like sacrificing. They'd be like, I'm not eating chocolate for a week or something like that to show the Lord how serious I am about baptizing and stuff. But I remember that covenanting. And then I remember doing a couple of those covenants and then nothing happening and then being like, eh, I'm just going to keep working. <laughs> doing the regular thing without the added pressure so yeah uh all this talk kind of reminds me did you guys ever do moroni's quest no oh did you have you heard about it i have like big camp thing okay i feel like that's a whole other episode is talking about moroni's quest and like other church camps so maybe we'll have to do that sometime but um yeah, so may, that's a that's a teaser. If you're not subscribed to the mm-hmm. podcast, what, what what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> you can talk about Moroni's to... quest as well as uh, Trek. Yes, yeah. and, and Trek, and there's another one. It's like Joseph Smith encampment or something, or no, Helaman's encampment. We did. Yeah, although that was less churchy and more scouty. Right, uh, counselor or um, Bishop Jensen. Do you remember Camp Potwayog? Put on the whole armor of God? Or was that that, before your time? That was a year before. That was the youth conference when I was 13. Like the year before I was old enough to go. Yeah, like, I was like, Camp Potwayog. Like, that's brutal. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's where the stake president said that the second coming was coming in 2017. Oh, was that that Melchin? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I heard about that all the way down in my stake on the other side of the city. I remember then when he was like an area 70 or whatever yeah. he was after that. I yeah. remember one of my young men's leaders saying like, oh yeah, this guy's got like predictions of when the second coming's happening and everything and like making a joke about it to us and young men's. Uh, yeah. Well, it didn't happen in 2017. So that's... Uh, well, like in, well, when he made the promise, it was uh, 2000, like it was the year 2000. So yeah. like he had a decade and a half as a buffer, right? He was but. hoping he'd be dead by then. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so the year after that, they did Survivor. And I remember I brought a non-Mormon friend because he had a crush on a Mormon girl who was there. And we had to make these shelters uh, in our youth groups. And somebody made a joke after like, oh, it looks like you're a little too busy pitching your tent looking at that girl. And he's like, uh. Pitching a tent, you mean like those shelters we built? Like it went right over his head and he thought we were talking about the shelters we were building? And he just didn't get it. We kept making these pitching a tent jokes to him. And he's just like, what? No, I pitched a tent at six. <laughs> like when we built the shelters, that was when I pitched a tent. No, you're pitching a tent all night. And he's like, "What? no, that's not the only thing we did. <laughs> that's so sad. <laughs> and then my dad was driving us home and even my dad starts making like a pitching a tent joke because he just can't. This kid's just not getting it. So anyway, so funny. Yeah, good times. The, on that guy's probably camps. looking back now, being like, he, "I get it now." He is actually dead. <laughs> oh well, I, I'm laughing because he he started he he started think he started listening to like rap music and wanted to be a thug <laughs> and became a thug and joined like one of the Asian gangs in Calgary, the Fobs or the Fob Killers. 
and he went missing in like 2010. I was trying to find him on Facebook. What the heck? Yeah. So he's just been a missing person for like 10 years. Okay. Well, um, got a little heavy. Yeah. Welcome to the, welcome to the Mormon true crime podcast. (laughs) (laughs) There are some, there are some of those out there and they're pretty intense. Yeah. They're scary. Yeah. The Jody Arias thing was happening right when I got home from my mission. I come home from my mission and it's Iron Man and that weird guy who had anal sex with the woman who killed him because he didn't want it. PNV was crossing the, the wow. line. Wow. Right? What, that, what are we even talking about? I have what? no idea. I have no idea. Jo- Jody Arias in Arizona? No. This no. was 2008. So she like uh, <laughs> met this Mormon guy at an MLM conference and then falls in love with him and he like starts sleeping with her but he's like we have to do oral or anal because PNV is breaking the law of chastity. And then he keeps her as like a dirty little secret and she goes crazy and shows up at his house because he starts dating like a righteous Mormon girl or whatever. And then this jilted ex-girlfriend who joined the church for him shows up at his house and murders him. So that's like okay. what I came home from my mission for was Iron Man and Jody Arias. <laughs> I was like, Okay. <laughs> And like Warren Jeffs got caught like six months before I came home. So that was like always all the rage when I was tracting. Anyways, so the number one dumbest thing I did while I was Mormon was I attended the addiction recovery program six years or seven years after I had stopped looking at pornography. On my <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had forgotten about this, but last night my wife was talking to me. She was like, so I listened to this Mormon stories podcast. And this guy was talking about like the, the 12 step program the church has. What, like, what's that all about? What's that like? And I'm like, Oh, I actually went to that. And she's like, you did what? When? And I'm like, well, like I looked at porn when I was a teenager and I still had a guilt complex. So I thought I needed to go to the ARP addiction recovery program to fully cleanse myself <laughs> of my past sins. How long, how many sessions did you go to? I think two. And then I was like, I've made a big mistake. Like I don't belong here. I've <laughs> These guys it. actually have issues. Those, I don't. Those, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those, those meetings are heavy. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. And then I ran into, I saw a guy I knew with his wife. The thing like about it back then when that was when they kind it had maybe only been out for one or two years. So everybody was just talking about their generic addictions. Nobody was saying like, I'm an alcoholic. I have a gambling mm-hmm. problem. I look at porn. It was just my addiction, my addiction, my addiction. But I don't know, like a friend of mine was there with his wife. And I'm like, so this is a porn thing. Like you guys are working on this together. I see. Right. <laughs> but what it was like the reason the reason why I thought I had to go was I had this like crushing anxiety. I went to talk to a church therapist because I figured a worldly therapist would just tell me to have sex and masturbate <laughs> because that's what like the church tells you like therapists will just make you break the church's standards, right? They're evil. So I went to a church therapist and he he's asking me questions to try and get to the root of my anxiety and he's like, "So when you were a teenager, did you commit sexual sins?" I'm like, "Yes." And did you look at pornography? Yes. He's like, would you say you had an addiction? I'm like, I don't know, I guess. Like the church tells me that I'm an addict if I look at it even once, so I guess. And he's like, an addict never stops being an addict. As You know, a smoker always craves cigarettes. They never stop being a smoker. So you're maybe still processing something. And so I was like, I guess I've got to go to ARP now. And wow. I went a couple of times and I was like, uh, maybe I overthought this. And I remember telling my dad and my, my parents and my dad is like, 
I don't know what the hell this guy has told you, but it is not right. You don't have an addiction if you're not doing the thing you're supposed to have an addiction for. I'm like, dad, you don't understand anything. <laughs> you're, you're like, I'm addicted. I promise. I have a porn addiction. When was the last time you looked at porn? Seven years ago. <laughs> it's like, so anyway, yeah, that was the, I would say that the number one dumbest thing I did while I was a member of the church. Well, I'm glad you worked through it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh this this was fun. Any uh any closing thoughts from anybody? No, thank you uh Bishop Jensen for uh yeah. leading this discussion. I felt the spirit. Good. I'm glad. Truly I'm glad. truly inspired. Would you like to close this out, Bishop? In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <laughs>